1: It's your call for the best college football coverage, from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents The Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to The Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Bud Elliott, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, that's Dennis Dodd, Senior College Football Columnist for CBS Sports, CBSSports.com, a frequent contributor, guest, and friend here on the Cover 3 podcast. Thanks to all of you that are joining in on this conversation live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3, on Facebook, wherever you are getting the Cover 3 podcast, and if you're listening to this after the fact, you have an opportunity You have an opportunity to still be a part of the show, still be a part of the conversation, and that's going to be through the big old bag of mail. That's right. Mailbag episodes continue to pop up uh, frequently in our schedule in the offseason. If you go and leave us a five-star review, then in that review, put your question for a future mailbag episode. We'll grab it. We'll throw it in the bag, and we will tackle it in a future mailbag episode. A lot to get to today. Uh, Of course, we want to focus on uh, Dennis's uh, expertise and a lot of the hard work that he's been doing tracking uh, the moving pieces throughout all of college football. We we reference your work too many times, Dennis, for us not to have you on here outright. So uh, before we start to dive into things such as um, – some of the rule changes that we are currently debating or we might see in college football, uh, what those rule changes and the other shifting landscape within college football playoff expansion, and also, uh, you know, your annual attendance report did not come back with some uh, some great news for those that were thinking that we were going to have a massive bounce back from obviously a, a 2020 season unlike any other. So before we get into all that, I just want to say that, Dennis, you've been hard at work, you've been grinding, you've been on the phone, now, how are you doing here uh, at this point in the college football season. What what's really uh, what's really got your attention here in early March?
2: Uh, doing great. Ready for spring practice. Ready for the tournament. I try to plan my trips around or my regionals around places I can go for <laughs> spring practice and in, um, in the final four. Trying to line up Brian Kelly for uh, New Orleans. See if I can dance my way over to to, <laughs> to Baton Rouge and uh, change my accent a little bit and get in good with him. But no, just. Uh, just doing great, just ready for some ball.
0: You've got uh you've got a good relationship. Well, you've got a relationship with Brian Kelly, right?
2: Like yeah, this, you know, we- I, I I do. I mean, I, I'm not gonna say we're boys. Um, you know, I, I suppose he knows who I am. Ryan Kelly in Oh yeah
0: he does after that playoff
2: semifinal loss. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: <laughs> you, you, you came up and be like, "Hey, so so what was up with that?" And then yeah. he just he he went off on it. everything that had been stewing in his in his not his little brain, in his very big brain uh, <laughs> ever since that game got started. It felt right. like he was rip-roaring ready I to cry I
2: about that. Yeah, that was that was like a question that had to be asked, but he was ready to unload. And I think the reason he got so upset that day that night was because other people started asking the question in different versions of it, you know, you know, he kept getting hit over. Why can't you win the big one? why do you get to this point? You can't get over that. Um, so yeah, I mean, but Hey, for, uh, for whatever it is, $8 million or whatever he's making, I'll, uh, I'll take those slings and arrows.
3: Would you say you're part of Brian Kelly's uh, family?
2: Family. <laughs> no. Uh,
1: family. He, he
2: awesome. changed. He changed this is my favorite line from the offseason. He changed jobs, cultures, and accents to go to the LSU <laughs> job. So we'll see. <laughs>
0: hey, just I'm totally out of left field here. The when you look at Brian Kelly and when you're thinking about LSU and you're trying to like prognosticate, we oftentimes just sort of you know throw out your your over under what kind of your prediction would be. But Brian Kelly at LSU. Um, over under 1.5 SEC West championships by the time his tenure is done in Baton Rouge. Ooh,
2: um, gosh, that here's another. I'll answer that, but here's another one that was really a mind bender for me. Somebody asked this, I think on a radio appearance, uh, is more successful at his current job, Marcus Freeman or Brian Kelly? And you know that's interesting too. Um, you know it's. Different sets of problems at both schools. It it is a culture thing at LSU, which can be overcome. Les Miles is from Ohio. You know, he's not a good old boy. He's not from the South, nor do you have to be. But the one point two SEC West titles, I'll I'll take the over if we're just talking about divisions.
0: Yeah, just get to the championship game. Showing up in Atlanta yeah. with the Tigers, purple and gold, all in the stadium. You've, you've at least gotten them to – because with what's going on at Georgia, I almost feel hesitant to say SEC yeah. championships and just say, like, how many times can you get there by the time uh, your, your time is done in Baton Rouge?
2: Yeah, Gus Malzahn did it. Jimbo Fisher beat Alabama last year. But I think that's one of the stories of the offseason – Went seven and four otherwise, a monumental career changing program changing win and only ends up eight and four. But that's something else. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the over on that. I think at his age, his ability to coach LSU is getting, you know, Notre Dame's winning as coach. That says something. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take the over.
3: Now, look, let me ask under. you this. Tom, are you going under for the same reason I'm going under? I don't know. What's your reason? My reason is that they are not going to have divisions in yep. about three years. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So I, we should probably rephrase the question to SEC <laughs> title game appearances. Okay. Right? Because like divisions are probably going away. You're not going to have two
1: eight-team divisions in a 16-team Super League, I, I wouldn't think. And if that's the case, I'd still go under, honestly. Because like if you look at LSU's history – even with the national titles, like when they won the division in twenty nineteen, that was the first time they'd won the West since twenty eleven. So it's they're not like a division champion extraordinaire. They're just one of those schools that kind of just has magical seasons and win a national title. Hmm.
3: It'll hmm. depend on, on who their annual draws are. You know, if they get stuck with like Bama, A and M, and then I don't know Florida, Kentucky, and, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, they won't. There's no way they give them Florida, Kentucky, or Florida. L Bama and a and I would, like, you got to get a break
1: somewhere in there. I, I, I don't know. But see, that's the thing, though, because if you start, if you go, we're getting off topic already, but if you go to no divisions and it's the top two teams reaching the SEC championship game, like, they're not just competing with Alabama and AM and and Auburn anymore. They're also competing with Georgia for one of those two spots. So it's like, I, th- I think that actually lessens their odds. Good point. Think uh, about that. God, think about the SEC. It's nuts. Yeah, and Oklahoma and Texas are coming in, too. It's just, it's. That's How do you think that's crazy. gonna line up? I mean, are we gonna see any
0: timetable change there, Dennis? On the when the when Texas and Oklahoma arrive, or is the Big yeah, 12 that, gonna make them stay just as long as the contract says?
2: I ask that question every week of somebody in the know, and they keep telling me they're gonna stay through the contract, but they wouldn't be surprised if something you know, Bob Bowlesby says this all the time. Uh, you know, we have good bylaws, we have good lawyers. But you never know, you know, privately, he'll be saying, yeah, you never know. Um, I I think a key date is probably about this time next year when, you know, maybe things are settled a little bit in the college football playoff. Maybe we know it's going to happen in 26. I think that's what's holding it up now. Um, That they might go a year earlier, maybe, um, and pay whatever penalty it is. But as it was told to me again this week, uh, we're talking to get out right now would be hundreds of millions of dollars based on uh, the early exit fees of the of the Big 12 and the unknown amount of money it would take to get out of the grant of rights. That's a negotiation. If we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, we're getting down to the point where, yeah, Texas might be able to afford it, but I don't think Oklahoma could. So it's, a, it's an expensive proposition.
4: All right, Dennis, let's dive into the yep. uh, the article that's up now on the potential rule changes. And they're significant. And I thought it was interesting the way you laid it out because I think this is a critical decision-making process and how it could impact a lot more than just player safety. I mean, it, it could impact the length of games, uh, just all, uh, so much that goes into it. The story is great, well-researched. What were some of your bigger takeaways that you learned from there and what direction do you think we're headed?
2: Well, a couple of things. The the people in charge, the stakeholders, the rules committee, the commissioners now have taken this semantic approach to shortening games or protecting players or both. They're calling it exposures now for whatever reason. It used to be snaps, plays. Oh, it's a
0: COVID things. thing. Yeah, you yeah. use exposure. I mean, it's it's everyone's buzzword now.
2: <laughs> so an exposure to me signifies, you know, you're exposing your body to some sort of harm every time, you know, you have a football play, duh, we know that, but that's what they're calling it. And so by framing it that way, they're making it uh, a health and safety issue. Now, what what is less important now these days is the length of games, um, multiple people that I talked to for this story, and I think a couple of them they are quoted are saying, I- I'm less worried about the length of game than what happens within the game. That used to be a, you know, that used to be a thing, but I think what's, what's come back and I think, Danny, you agree with this, is that the people, the fans don't necessarily care. They care about the commercials, watching on TV, the, the delay in games between the quarters and they give some bank president a check for $30,000 $30, or something. I think that can be fixed. Um, but what, what fans love is getting there early, tailgating, staying late, enjoying the day, and that's just become less important. And so the stakeholders now are worried about what happens between the lines. Um, if it shortens a game, it shortens a game. If that, but that's not the number one priority.
3: So, Dennis, why, let me ask you the bigger picture here. They're probably going to make some kind of rule changes, as, as you noted. It seems like there's an urgency that they're showing now. And I don't want to just come out and say they never cared about player safety before, but in many cases, they just kind of paid lip service to it. And by they, I mean, you know, the NCAA rules committee and whatnot. What, why now? Why do they all of a sudden care about player safety so much?
2: It's, you know, it's a liability thing. I, they won't admit it. And the commissioners, I talk, well, that's not really part of it. It's a big part of it. Um, I call it the leaky roof theory. You buy a house and let's say it has a leaky roof. You tell the owners that before I buy this house, you gotta fix the roof. So I think before college football goes forward, particularly college the college football playoff, in whatever form it goes forward in, has to fix the leaky roof. Not many people know this, still. There are dozens of head trauma lawsuits going on all over the country, targeting schools, the NCAA, um, millions and millions of dollars. It's a reason that I wrote a story last fall about how the Rules Committee is not going backwards on targeting. We hear all this criticism about targeting. What's not going to happen is to make the penalty lighter. Um, and they're, they're, I think the people in charge are particularly against this flagrant one, flagrant two, because it is going to delay the game more. But they're not going backwards on enforcement of it because they're worried about liability. What these Trial lawyers have become savvy at all the research is out there. They now can trace, uh, you know, what they call NCA negligence on head trauma and student athlete welfare back to the fifties, according to them. If you go backwards on targeting, if you don't address this right now, um, then you're going to end up in court for years and years and years. So, as college football moves on, as college football transitions. To oversight, I think by the college football playoff, I think they've got to get this piece of it fixed, whatever "fixed" means. You know, what we don't even know if this is going to work. It looks like it might work, um, but I know I, I've talked about it with Danny. Um, that boy, the first down thing is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. It's what differentiates college football from the pros, and the pros fit nicely into that three-hour window every Sunday and throughout the week. Does college football wanna be that? And in, and in 2006, when they tried to do something similar, it was an absolute disaster. Scoring went down, and I'm talking about, you guys remember this, when they started the clock, inexplicably, when toe met leather. That, and they shortened times, which was fine. I think over time, they forgot about the halftime thing. We know that, we go to games, it's as long as it is. But that, that one thing Uh, made games shorter. They dropped down to 64 plays per game. That's an NFL pace. It was the lowest-scoring game, lowest-scoring season still since 1991, and they completely changed it the next year. This is a very delicate – these are very delicate rule changes that have to be well thought out.
3: So, Des, I I want to kind of pull on that string a little more. You you said the the leaky house theory or the leaky roof theory. Um, In this scenario, obviously, the house is the game of football. Yeah who is the buyer who is looking to take this over, right? Is it just, like, like are, are you just, is it, exi- is there an existing party or, or is there a new buyer coming to take over governance and, and inherit the liability for the game of college football? Like that, that's, that's interesting to me.
2: Yeah, we, we know from, you know, the transformation committee, the NCAA rewriting the constitution that, you know, division one um, and particularly the power five, because that's what the whole thing is about is going to be running the sports if they don't now. As I said, uh, you know, the college football playoff in its next iteration, I think, is going to be the overseer. They are going to be on the clock responsible for, I want one example, postgraduate uh, health insurance. The Pac-12 has it now, they have a really good um, situation going there for their athletes, but I think there's gonna be a lot of pressure from federal types, from Congress, and from people like the Knight Commission, okay, if this is all you now, you're responsible for these kids, and that's part of that. Because this bubbled up, guys, from, uh, Greg Sankey says it bubbled up from the Football Leadership Conference last summer from the SEC, particularly the, the commissioners all met together in Las Vegas in December at the National Football Foundation dinner in Las Vegas and started putting this thing together. To, uh, to push through on the rules committee, which only change, can only change rules every other year. This is an active year uh, where they can change years. So I think that has a lot to do with their thinking as stewards of the game. Um, we, I just don't think it's a front burner item by the public because there's still, again, a lot of these lawsuits that tend to sink you know, athletic departments and already the NCAA into a legal morass.
1: So you you say that they can do it every other year, and this is a year where you can change rules. So if they implement the rules, like the the first down rule, that goes in, and then as the season starts, you know, we're a month and a half, two months into the season, and it's like, oh, wow, this is really drastically changing how many plays there are per game. We're seeing far less points scored, far less excitement, blah, 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 everything that's bad can they then rescind that rule after the season or would they have to wait? Would the rule have to be in place for two years before they can rescind it?
2: That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that's a great question because in 2006, they were able to change rules every year and they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. that. That's really interesting. If we get stuck with bad rules to are we stuck for two years? That's I'm going to make that call when I get off. Thanks, Tom. That's good. No
4: problem. <laughs> and the thing that's interesting about that is it's not, it's a, it's not a subjective rule. Like it's gotta be in, like, if there's one thing, if you said, Hey, we're going to emphasize, um, targeting or something like that, the officials could just stop calling that, but it's not like you can just stop implementing the rule. This one's going to take place no matter what. So that it has a lot of severe, uh, implications to what it could mean.
2: So yeah. That's- I, I think there's something else to think about here too, in terms of the effect of the of the rules and we're talking about having the on incomplete passes having the ball ready for play the clock starts in other words the referee has the ball spots the ball uh ready to go instead of the snap on incomplete passes they changed that rules for runs out of bounds in 2008 and the game was was largely unaffected in fact plays per game obviously went up from 2006. the combination of both those things with runs out of bounds and incomplete passes, not having to wait till the snap of the ball to start the clock, what is the cumulative effect of that? And what is the cumulative effect of first downs where the clock doesn't automatically stop on first down? So that's almost three things you have to, you have to put in there. Um, and there are those that will say, oh, scoring goes down, great, great for defenses, back to what football used to be. But I think if it gets too restrictive and if there aren't enough plays to get in, I I, ha- I just personally think that's what makes college football, you know, more unique. And I think you have, ma- you know, more better finishes and more better more points in the in the end because of that.
4: What a coach. Have you heard, oh, go ahead. I know you talked to several commissioners and rules experts. What about the coaches? Have the coaches <laughs> chimed in on this, you know, like to say like, "Hey, this is going to impact our jobs and you know our opportunities to come back late in games," like. You know, what are the coaches that you've talked to said?
2: Yeah, I talked to Todd Berry, who's the executive director of the American Football Coaches Association, and they kind of have a neutral position on it. Um, You know, I think if you go from coach to coach uh, and ask them what they want to do, if you went to Dave Claussen, who has run an average of 86 plays per game the last three years, he might have something to say about it, and I did not talk to him. But as Steve Shaw pointed out, you know, the, again, the delicate balance and Steve Shaw, the secretary rules editor of, a, of the NCAA rules committee, he pointed out it's really hard because you, it's not like the NFL where everybody's just kind of the same. You're talking about impacting everybody from Wake Forest, uh, who's run 86 plays per game on average the last three years to a Navy who's run, I think, I can't remember the exact number, 59 per game. And we know why, because mm-hmm. of the offense offense. How does that impact both of those equally and fairly?
3: It's it's a really interesting question, and I'm not really like. Do you think that's actually a is that a concern of the rules committee, or is basically just like, like losing creativity, lose, re- losing the ability
0: to have different styles? Like you, you would actually yes. homogenize the way that the game is played potentially with yeah. these changes.
2: I, I don't I don't know if it impacts Wake Forest as much as it would Navy because Wake Forest. One of the things about the 2006 year is that many people say, and there's no quantitative evidence that that kind of ushered in the, the tempo or at least the levels of tempo because coaches who are running it, then well, screw this. We're going to get our plays in. guys get up. We're going to go, you know, we're going to go fast. We're going to go tempo to, to combat this rule. Uh, I think it would, the way what we're talking about it would really impact navy more because they start running 49 plays per game mm-hmm. um, do they have the ability to come back do they have to pass more if they do come from if they are behind um yeah maybe that's the next story uh get dave clausen and uh ken Nui Matololo in the same room and have them talk about it have them strike up some kind of agreement on how we can do this
3: <laughs> so I know we, we had discussed on the show prior the, the different conferences' objections uh, to expanding the college football playoff. And I, I kind of wrote the ACC's player safety uh, objection off as just kind of lip service and an excuse to stall to try to ultimately throw a Hail Mary and, and land yeah. Notre Dame uh, or some type of different TV deal. But is the ACC just kind of taking the bullet for the rest of these guys and and, and throwing up the flag and saying, hey, player safety – but actually meaning it from a liability standpoint? Like, is that is that one of the reasons we are not expanding the playoff? Because they want to try to make a, a move to say, like, we're not playing more football, we're playing less football, and then we're expanding the playoff so that it's we're, we're kind of net-net as opposed to expanding out and playing more snaps with more football being played in the playoff?
2: Yeah, I think, I think I will take them at their word on the Notre Dame thing. They've been asked that directly, Jim Phillips, and he said that's absolutely not a factor. I will take them at their word because I, I I don't think delaying this two years helps Notre Dame get into the ACC, if that makes sense. Um, and again, I will take them at their word on why they're voting. No, they've caught, you know, they've called for this 365 day holistic review of college football, where uh, some of this is being discussed. And Jim Phillips and the ACC is absolutely in favor of uh, these things that we're talking about, these, you know, these rules that are being discussed right now, the exposure movement, if you will. Um so that's why they voted against it. I think it's nothing more than that. The coaches are on board. I we we know publicly Dabos, you know, no more football. Um you know Pat Narduzzi's on record is saying that. And I think Mac Brown is as well. So I, I think I'm not saying their concerns are legitimate because I mean, look, there's a reason why eight other conferences voted for it and they knew it was coming. And the ACC was one of those conferences, as uh, Greg Sankey's pointed out many times that three years ago, we absolutely need expansion. You know, they they need access. I think they can't see the forest for the trees, but I I think there's no other agenda there. I think it is what it is, It's to help the student athlete. It's to put a pause button on the game and maybe you know, the agenda, maybe the SEC from taking over the world, because that's what the alliance looked like when it was formed. And that's still what it looks like today.
1: Do you know if there's been any consideration for, like, obviously, they're calling it exposures, they're not really trying to shorten the length of the games, they're trying to shorten the amount of plays in the game, the quote, unquote, exposures. Has there been any contact with television networks for how they might feel about this if it does lead to shorter games time-wise and therefore less opportunities to yes. go to commercial?
2: Yes. All the executive producers of the rights holders are being invited this week to the meeting in Indianapolis. So NBC, CBS, Fox. Uh, who am I missing? There's one other in there. It's a
0: four-letter um, network,
2: yeah. ESPN. Uh, Never heard of it. Obviously, obviously ABC with yeah. uh, ESPN. Are being invited for their input, and one of the things being discussed—not a huge deal—but to to get commercials in. You guys probably all watch the Golf Channel because that's where I see it the most. The side by side, where action is going on on one side, and you're selling a you know a floor cleaner on the other for 30 seconds, and nobody misses anything. I think you could easily fit it in in football on an extra point, which are just like you know, that's nothing these days. It's not like the NFL where they miss a few of them every year, these are automatic. So I think you could do that um, and fit that in and get your commercials in the average. I was told this a few years ago. I don't know how many people know this. In the average college football game, there are 64 30 second spots. Mm -hmm. So they have to fit those in. That's 32 one minute spots, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a lot of stuff and it's a big reason why these games are so long. But I think the last average I saw for 20 for 2020 maybe was three hours and 18 minutes. So that's way, way down that one at what than what it was before.
0: Well, how do you gamed out the college football playoff expansion path as, as you, you know, you you mentioned you know, trying to touch base with everybody else and, and trying to understand what these motivations are and, and whether you're going to take someone at their word and, Greg Sankey, even you know, with that very cryptic, we're going to have to rethink our position. You know, as we sit here now, how, how do you think that the the path to expansion, which does seem inevitable, it might not be from your seat, but um, how do you think we end up getting there by the time it is it is, uh, is going to be two years from now? We are going to be talking about a new contract, and, and the college football playoff, as you've mentioned, might sort of become synonymous with college football. You know, with with being the the league office, so to speak, and really governing and running the sport, ha, how do you think these next steps are going to go as they try to get um, as they try to get everybody on board, at least a majority on board, with the future of how we decide a national champion?
2: Yeah, it's going to be a lot more complicated, not less. That's not to say it can't happen, but think about this: thirty months from today, which seems is a blink of an eye in TV negotiations worlds. Uh, ESPN is going to sit down with an exclusive negotiating window for 30 days with the CFP. You know, are they going to come with a monster offer and, and try to keep the thing for the next 12 years? I, I don't think there's a number they can put out there right now that can keep the commissioners from going to market because that's where the big big money is. You know, w- within the next four years, I, all the a bunch of the stakeholders that we know right now are going to be retired. I think Bill Hancock's going to be retired, the executive director. He's 71. Bob Bolsby is 70. Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD is 67 or 68. Um, Craig Thompson, who was on the subcommittee that formed expansion from the Mountain West is 65. A lot of these people who did this were going to be retired. Look what happened in in the, the last, what, three years or two years when we had three new commissioners. That's the reason why we don't have expansion. So they've gotta be brought up to speed. And then I think one of the biggest things complicating Expansion by rubber stamp in twenty six, do do we all, I mean, agree that look play by then players in some sort of fashion are going to be compensated, uh, maybe have collective bargaining rights, uh, you know, where's that money going to come from? How's it going to be regulated? Are the schools going to be partners? Do does football and, and men's basketball separate uh, and just you know pay the schools a license to wear their jerseys? So they can be paid uh, and get out from under Title IX, so they don't have to deal with that. All that's going to come into play in the next four years. So that's that's why I think a lot of this. I'm not saying it can't happen. I just think a lot of things got to be worked out before they even start to think about expansion in 26.
4: With some of these rules that we discussed a couple minutes ago, uh, I think there's some debate. Like I, I was blown away that most fans. I put out a poll. Like, are college football games too long? And 66% said no. Said they're good. Now, they did clarify in the comments that the the ads are too long. Like, get, get rid of the ads, but give me the same amount of plays. So they don't want the rule changes to speed up the game. They want to get rid of the ads, keep the amount of plays the same. But on an area where I think, and I haven't done a poll on this one, but just seeing the dialogue that takes place when this is called is targeting. And I thought it was interesting because I caught. I, I want to be sure, like, what direction you think we're going? This because I agree with you. You can't just undo it. But flagrant one, flagrant two, is something that has been brought about a lot. I do think there needs to be a better solution than what we have. What do you think happens with targeting in this cycle where we can't change the rules?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And again, I I, I delved into that last fall, and the. I guess the answer I got is the coaches or at least the AFCA is in favor of flagrant one, flagrant two, Steve Shaw, who again is, is merely the secretary editor of the rules committee, and they are subject to feedback from the AFCA and other sources are against flagrant one and flagrant two, because it would delay, it would put more pressure on the replay official. officials yeah. and officials to make that call and delay the game further. Um, you know, they, they want to keep it. Basically, as it is, it's a bang bang play. Um, you know, do what do you do to, you know, what happens to the person who's injured what, or not injured, but the the person that, who the foul is against? Um, do you lessen the penalty, and that's what they re, that's really dicey, you know? Or do you, do you do something as simple as okay, if it happens in the fourth quarter, are you kicked out of the game for the rest of that game, and not the you know? The remainder of the next game because that's what it is right now and that's what they have to discuss again the optics of that is if it happens in the last minute of a fourth quarter and that's all he misses then what are you talking about player safety you know you're not incentivizing uh conduct by the players so that's stuff they have to discuss that i don't think they'll go back on
4: i just i wish there was a way because I think the penalty is too severe in most cases. You see, but it clearly, by the rule, the officials are getting the call right, targeting, ejected. I wish there was a way they could take that time and do it at the league office, you know. But then you have you know, like who doles yeah. out the punishment then and decide, all right, then you could take all the time in the world, judge intent. Is this a half? Is this a full game? But it doesn't solve the problem in the immediate sense, like, because there's going to be controversial targeting calls. And if you don't slow down the game and look at them, you could get it wrong. And then they look it back on it. They're like, yep, we missed it. But you had to call it in the moment. So it's a complex issue for sure. I'll, I'll do it.
1: it. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would do it. I'll you. do it. I'll be, I'll be the NCAA, whoever's in charge. I'll be the replay for targeting guy. You just send it to me. I'll be in a booth somewhere. And I'll be like, "That ah, flagrant one, flagrant two. Just right. move on. Give me. I'll do it in 10 seconds. I'll do it
4: with you. I think it's pretty clear cut too.
2: The last time we gathered in Destin, Florida for the SEC spring meetings, Steve Shaw was there and he got all the reporters in a room. And we actually got these elaborate clickers and he he showed us reviews, showed us targeting plays. Okay, right now, what's your call? Boom. And I, I was I was so flustered. I think I got five out of 12 right or what was perceived to be right at the time when they made the call. And it gave you a new, I guess, appreciation for how tough it is for these guys. You know, you can slow it down and they they inevitably do on these on these plays to show oh it was it wasn't intent the guy moved his head he's in the way i don't know what the answer is but you know i think largely it's going to be kept in place like it is
1: but that's it they've got like a thousand rules they have to enforce and be aware yes. of if i just only have to be aware of targeting sitting in a booth and know the rules
4: inside and out i could do it really quick
2: maybe that's the answer add a target yeah. person in the booth mm-hmm.
4: But I know what Dennis is talking about cuz when I was at ESPN he did the same thing he presented it to all the broadcasters so like t- so you didn't go too harsh on the officials there are some that are very tricky and it's one of those things with replay even in calls is it a fumble or not you see some and you're like well I can make the case either way or another it isn't it isn't always a slam dunk I'm with you Tom I feel like you can nail it most of the time but there is that you know 3% of the time where it's a little bit confusing what do you do and those are the ones that are that cause the most problems usually. Bud, you're muted. are muted. Well, okay. Uh, sorry the, uh, the the kid was
3: screaming downstairs. Um, <laughs> he Dennis, doesn't you, like the you show. Said,
1: <laughs> hey, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you
3: yeah he's he's, he's watching out. live downstairs. <laughs> we're, tractor, we're
1: tractor. <laughs> oh
0: tractor.
3: <laughs> Get the job done. Yes. Um, all right, Dennis. So you said you only got five of twelve right, but that may just be your common sense may have got like 12 of 12, right. And the way the rule is written yeah. you know, it ended up causing those to be quote, unquote, incorrect answers. I, I do have a question though. So we had these in 2006, it was largely a disaster, the, the, the clock rules, right. And nobody liked the product, but I keep hearing the word from you, perception and liability and inherit. Uh, are they in a position to where, what, what if these rules, Tom asked, could they roll them back in two years, theoretically, like, is there any way you could see, even if these totally suck, that they're gonna roll them back? Because wouldn't a rollback be perceived by the attorneys who are putting together the timeline of yeah. NCAA governance and and you know how much care due care is being put towards treating player safety and injuries? Like, wouldn't a rollback be seen as not caring about player injuries? Like this is if they do this, is there is there any way it's not here to stay, even if it stinks?
2: Uh no, I th- I think they get look, I think if there's a liability issue that they'll find a way to you know, change it after a year. But again, what we're talking about, if they institute it, it's going to be less plays, not more, less exposures. That's what this is all about. Um, but yeah, when they only do this every other year, are they, like Tom said, are they stuck with it for two years? Is it just a bad rule for two years instead of one year in 2006? And look, I, I don't think, I don't think the science is exact. What they've done here to get to this point is go through every game in the last 15 years. And instead of saying adding plays, that's why we're at exposures. Exposures mean punts, kickoffs, PATs, two-pointers. And they're still trying to find a way to research how many um, declined Decline penalties. penalties. Yeah, declined penalties that involve contact, pass interference, holding, what have you add that, that's thats a big lift because there's no database for that, I don't think. You'd almost have to go through every game book and, uh, and look for it. But I think they're going to try to estimate it. And what they've come up with so far is in the last 15 years, it kind of spiked in 2014. I think the number that was given to me was there were 179 total plays per game that year. That doesn't really mean anything because we've got nothing, nothing to compare it to. I mean, divided in half, that's 90 exposures. Per um, per team equally, but we don't know what that is in in previous years. The SEC's done its own research. Greg Sankey told me that with these rules or something close to it, you could cut exposures back where teams would play the equivalent of 1.2 less games per season. Now, you don't think that would get the attention of the ACC uh, and Dabo Sweeney and some of those people? It absolutely would. Um, but does that? impact the game so negatively that it starts to look like 2006? That's the question.
0: What's your sense on the likelihood that these rules are passed and put in place?
2: I think they'll be passed. I mean, then it becomes a question of, you know, in inexact science. science, how, how much do they impact the game? As I, I've said all along, the first down thing is really, you know, the differentiating line between the pros and college. And if they cross that line, what does that look like? Um, you know, is it so many less plays per game that it's just a different game? And and look, at the end of the day, do injuries go down? Um, there's going to be some information released on Friday regarding kickoffs. And I don't know what it is, but apparently there's been a profound uh, drop in, uh, in injuries, both catastrophic and regular injuries on kickoffs, with the implementation of the fair catch, with the You know, ball most of the balls being going in the end zone for touchbacks. um, Where hardly any balls are being returned, but at least the the kickoff is still in the game. Uh, And then you weave in the fact that a disproportionate amount of injuries come from the kickoff. There are only, uh, I think the number that was given to me was like, uh, I want to say six per game. Don't hold me to that on average right now. But the over the overabundance of injuries that come from that. And that's been going on for decades. We know that because of the hitting. They've they changed the wedge. No more uh, three-man wedge. I think it's down to two now. Uh, but Fridays are going to come some information on that, where that in itself, less exposures on the kickoff is work.
0: Coming up on the other side, one of the uh, irreplaceable parts of college football is these stadiums filled with fans and the passion and the pageantry and what that means for the sport itself. The new attendance numbers are out. Dennis Dodd's broken them down. They're very interesting as we continue to discuss the future of college football with Sports.com senior college football columnist, Dennis Dodd. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance the slow or slower decline of attendance has been something that we have uh, been tracking but it it seems that in 2021 the the numbers in across several different conferences and and basically everywhere except for Arkansas where Sam Pittman has uh, been calling the hogs and they are packing that stadium out in Fayetteville. Uh, It does seem that we are continuing to see drops in attendance. I guess, first of all, what are some of the numbers that stood out to you as being particularly significant uh, with this drop in attendance across the sport?
2: Well, in 2021, and let's start with the asterisk. Yes, COVID was a part of it. Um, You know, from the 20 season, the NCAA did not release attendance figures because of that. But getting back into the stadium's concern over COVID has to be addressed. But what makes it a story is, It's now been in decline nationally seven years in a row, nine out of the last 10. And in 2021, lowest average attendance in 40 years since 1981, um, to the point that the SEC led the country in attendance for the 23rd straight year. But its figure was the lowest since 1999, its average attendance. I think Conference USA and Mountain West may have been, had the lowest average attendance ever. Uh, and again, Mountain West started in '99, and I think Conference USA in '96. The only conference, uh, the only conferences up, I believe, are the Big Ten and the MAC, um, both in the Rust Belt. So figure that out. But Sun Belt too. Uh, Sun Belt as well. But it, it's down, and there's a myriad of factors why. Uh, and they were they. You know, even when you factor in COVID, there's still the factor of it's easier to sit at home. It's cheaper. Uh, technology has now made it. You know, you can watch multiple games and multiple TVs. The beer's fresh, it's free. All that stuff still applies. So it's it's a situation where ADs are kind of pulling their hair out. They don't know what to do.
3: I I do think there's an element here um, where. You have to be able to replicate some of those creature comforts of home yes. in the stadium enough to approximate what you get at home. That way, the special experience of the in-stadium shines through. And like I, I would, I would make an analogy to like national parks, right? You're not going to get, you're not going to get Wi-Fi and, 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 and hell, even much cell service national parks. But you really can't approximate like going to Yellowstone or going to the Grand Canyon just by watching it on your TV at home because the enormity of it, just the the physical, you know, presence of it. But I mean, if you have a family and you want to take them to a game, almost any other event that you go to nowadays, they're going to have Wi-Fi. They're going to have decent cell service. And, you know, like maybe my kids don't want to sit through four quarters of a game. Maybe my wife wants to be on Instagram, you know, hitting up her friends in the third quarter. At a lot of stadiums, like including Florida State, you know, who I was with as a fan last year, went to a game. You can't do that. The cell service sucks. They don't have Wi-Fi there yet. And I think increasingly – you're going to see people not go to games if they can't just get the communications part of that. Correct. Additionally, like even if you don't have an issue of, I want to bring my family to this, you know, the game and like, I, maybe my kid wants to be on his tablet for half. Right. Like for me, that's fine. Cause it means I get to go to the game as opposed to getting a no for my wife. Right. So, you know, okay. Screen time, whatever. I still want those creature comforts there. Danny, I mean, you, you know all about that too. So um, the other thing I think is think about back to when we were students, right? It used to be, hey, we're, we're going to go to Ken's after the game. That's the thing. because We didn't have cell service in Dope Campbell, right? And like, you know, we had a brick phone anyway, so uh, playing Snake on it. And Danny, <laughs> you guys didn't have cell phones when you went to school. Like, it's not an old joke, but like, like nowadays, <laughs> kids communicate constantly throughout the game. It's an issue that they'll leave the game for if they can't Snapchat each other back and forth and make plans during the game about where they're going to go. So I don't know. I think a big part of this is these stadiums are behind on letting people communicate and consume the way that they modern that they do at other venues. And it's not an irreplaceable product. It is a, a product that is fine to watch on TV.
2: They're behind, but they've gotten better. You telling me about a Power Five program like Florida State, not wired this day and age is surprising. I remember a few years ago visiting the University of Washington where um they made a big point to tell me like here, you know they were doing upgrades on the stadium they they had like these cell towers they looked like robots in each corner of the stadium to make sure the stadium was wired and this is in seattle this is one of the you know biggest technology cities in the world um i, I thought all schools were wired i mean they have to be these days bud you know that i yeah. i go back to the story of a few years ago when um Michigan State. Iowa was playing at Michigan State. And the student section, it started to rain a little bit. It was drizzling. And the student section emptied out at Michigan State in the middle of a good game. And somebody asked what happened. And the answer came back, well, their phones got wet. You know, They went to the bars. You know, they can't communicate. And it's a little thing like that, but a big thing that keeps people away. You've got to be not only wired, but really wired. I mean, it's it's surprising to me that the the country is not fully wired for broadband. So when we get into this discussion about, well, is Apple or Netflix going to going to jump into to rights fees? That's one big reason why they haven't. When, when you can't get your product in the entire country, that's a problem. And when you can't wire a stadium, you're just asking people to stay away because you're asking them to be offline with friends, with babysitters, with husbands, with wives, with friends, um, being able to post stuff. Sports a, books. Sports, mm-hmm. sports books, absolutely. Although I will say this, um, and this is a different attack on that. I ask about the gambling portion of this. Uh, and let's assume you're wired um, and you're betting on your phone. That doesn't necess- I'm told that doesn't necessarily keep you from not going to the game. It doesn't necessarily keep you from going to the game. In other words, you're betting. <laughs> Either way, it's not, an, it's not an inducement to go to a game. And especially in this day and age of micro betting where you guys know this is coming, where you can bet run pass, uh, you can bet on props at the end of a quarter. That's all coming, and that's going to be huge. I, I actually want I sorry, Dave.
3: Well, I on that point about the betting thing and, and the time of game and tying that all together with attendance. I almost wonder if you could if you really wanted to juice the product and, and tie this thing into betting hardcore, which they won't do this, but they won't just ma- make it a mandatory. 15 seconds between plays like you could not snap the ball 15 seconds after the last one. It's a consistent thing. Um, and that way, like you could load up the what's the next play run pass, like, you know, result of next play type thing. They would really play and you could run 15 second micro advertisements
1: between each play split screen that thing. That sounds like hellscape to me. <laughs> <you know.
2: laughs> the technology is there. I'll tell you. Yeah. They, uh, last fall, uh, my friend, Chris Bevilacqua, who's one of the, sharpest TV consultants in the industry. He, he created CSTV, which is now CBS Sports Network, um, went all in on this company called SimpleBet. And what it is, is basically the technology to be able to do that. Don't ask me to explain how, when you have buffering you know, issues, but this is, this is supposed to be that platform that allows it, um, that makes it equal.
4: Is this, is it too dramatic to say it's just not gonna reverse? Like I look at all the issues that are there. And if I was in from the university side or the, you know, that's how I would be like, man, I, I'd be trying to downside my stadium, you know or downsize a tent. like in this era of expansion, putting in more because I mean, you get a pretty good pulse through social media, it's expensive. Like that's the one thing I always get is it's really expensive. It's more than ever to go to the game, ticket prices. You know, the hotels are jacked up. The flights are jacked up. And, you know, college towns aren't exactly easy to get to. And then the oversaturation of TV options. Like, I know for me, when I like, like when I was calling games and I had to be there. So that was the closest I got to being a fan. You had to be there a couple hours before to prep. So you're there earlier tailgating. So if I called a 330 game, I'd miss a lot of the 12 Noon games that maybe there were some good ones. I'd want to see a big 10 showdown. Then I call mine. It's the only game that I see. Then after I'm traveling home, it's like I kind of missed that one. So I get home at halftime. And now if you sit at home, you can have your game on the main screen. You can watch every game all day long, which diehard college football fans really want to do. So I look at this trend and I think, yeah, it's concerning and it's alarming. But I don't know if there's a way to reverse it despite all the great ideas and bells and whistles and wireless and you could have screen. Like, I just don't know. I would I'm, I'm like shrugging my arm saying or shrugging my shoulders, saying, I don't know what to do. And I don't know if
2: there is a solution. Yeah, I, I don't know either. On the stadium issue, it, it's easy in the not easy, but easier in the pros because if they want a new stadium. They go lobby the city or the state and, you know, build one from the studs up. You can't do that on campus and build a boutique stadium that fits demand at that time. Um, you're in general, uh, you know, bordered in or held in by a footprint of the college. There aren't places you can just go build a new stadium. And you're right. Uh, these days, if ADs had their ways, they'd build smaller stadiums as some of the pros have and create a demand for a premium ticket. Mm-hmm. Then you can build in those amenities where you feel you are more like home. Um, the colleges are trying to do it now with club seating and club bar areas that you know helps to get there at texas they have taken that san jacinto boulevard which is the main street that runs past dkr memorial stadium and and trade created into a game day experience um which should have been done years ago at texas considering how bad the football is but it keeps people engaged gets them in there and look all of it at the end of the day, sometimes is a, is a function of winning. But I, but what I, I've been told by marketers time and time again, boy, if you, if you base what you're doing on winning um, you're in trouble because there's no guarantee, you know, you can't Wasn't Georgia down this year when their attendance, Georgia down? was down, Georgia was down 71 per game. So that was negligible. You know, Sanford stadium was sold out basically every game. Um, and I can't explain why the 71. So it's, I just kind of throw that out. Yes. Yeah, Georgia was Georgia. They filled the stadium, but you know, Alabama was down. Um Texas was down. Uh the re- the reason, you know, Arkansas was up is because they were very, you know, very successful 2 years before they were 2 and 10. And this year in 2021, they beat Texas for the first time in Fayetteville in 40 years. And if you want if you want to buy a stock, buy Arkansas stock coming up because this this year in 22 they got Alabama, Ole Miss, LSU, and Bobby Petrino coming in with Missouri State. So a lot of it, again, is a function of who is on your schedule. But that doesn't explain Rutgers being right there, too. I think they were up 15,000 per game. I think they had Michigan at home, you know, Michigan has alumni all over the place. Um, But Rutgers, in, in a slightly improved season, was way, way up.
1: And Texas and Alabama are two schools who, if I'm correct, recently added seats to their stadium.
2: Yes, yeah, they I'm did. Alabama's I, gone over a hundred. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you, Danny, on the idea of downsizing stadiums because I think that just as far as like, as you said, as far as creating demand for the product, that helps because there are fewer tickets available. Pretty simple, supply and demand. But I also think, for television wise, I think it just presents a better or a better atmosphere and a better product to see because, like, even if you have a stadium that's got seventy thousand capacity, and say you've got fifty thousand people there, which is above the national average from what most schools are getting. That's still 20,000 empty seats you're seeing on television every game. And it kind of just makes you think, oh, these people don't care. Why should I?
0: Yeah, my unrealistic, way too expensive uh, stadium plan is less seats, cushions on every seat. And yep. just like an airplane, a TV screen on the back of the seat rest, headrest in front of you so that you can click around and watch other games. Again, it seems... Way too expensive, but if you really want to create the at-home environment in the stadium, make the seats uh, more comfortable, allow a second screen option beyond even what's on their phone, something that's built in and doesn't rely on cell service, and just understand that maybe their eyes won't be on the field for every single play.
1: Yeah, and kind of look at what like movie theaters were doing even before the pandemic as people were less people were going to movies it's like just like you said chip it we went from like little theater seats to more like recliners in oh, all yeah. these movie theaters where you just showed up you could just sprawl out you can lean back and chill for two hours
2: you're seeing this consideration in real time at the university of miami where a big booster there named john ruiz he's a billionaire um guy there that is proposing building sort of either on campus for the university of Miami or somewhere close in Coral Gables and much smaller than hard rock stadium, say a 45,000 seat stadium, which really fits the demand mm-hmm. um, for the university of Miami. And again, if you did that, you could charge premium prices because there are 45,000 people that follow the university of Miami who would pay that. That's what your market research would show, but he's running into a lot um the, the footprint of the University of Miami, is absolutely no room for something like that. Uh, he wanted to build a new stadium, I think, across the street from Coral Gables High. That went, Yeah, that's you know, not going to happen for sure. No, 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 no. Um, but but, but it's something they're considering and they want to do. And it's ca- kind of come in this wave of Mario Cristobal coming in. So we'll see what happens.
3: I mean, I, I don't think it's unrealistic that we go to more premium seating. Right, it, it's it's hard to get people to you know, depending on, on how far away you are from certain metropolitan areas. Right, like like Austin can support expansion. Tuscaloosa is not a big town, but it's what forty five or fifty minutes from Birmingham. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, A and M is how close is that to Houston? I mean, like, I hour, under an hour hour and a yeah. half or so. Yeah, is it an hour and a half? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess Houston's such a big area. Um, that's still like that, that, that's a day trip, right? You, you you can do that seven times a year. Other stadiums are not that close to, to major metropolitan areas, and, and the, you, you can't pull that off. I think for those, going to more like the, the experiential uh, type process, making it hey, come to two or three games a year, premium product. I think for those stadiums, it makes more sense.
0: Are they going to look to uh, build, a, build a Miami's new stadium out there by that, uh, that little private jet airport near the office? In Fort
1: Lauderdale. Where they got the soccer stadium. <laughs>
2: yes. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. That's across the street from the office, guys. Yes, you know
1: exactly. I yeah. was watching, I was I was watching a match there on Saturday. Like, <laughs> I know yeah. exactly where I've eaten at a restaurant right behind those bleachers. Yeah, they got
2: that little fancy. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that <restaurant>. bar. <laughs> <laughs> Quick story. I that's where Michigan uh, practiced Practice. the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I was driving around one day and real and, and didn't know that. I want to see the soccer stadium. I'm a I'm a stadium guy. I just like to see venues. And I'm driving around right there, and I see their equipment truck, and I go, Holy cow, Michigan's practicing. And I kind of slow down and make a circle in the parking lot to see what's going on. And I immediately get set upon by security, and I roll down the window, and he goes, You can't be here. I go, I know. You know, I'm losing. <laughs> I'm it's like, God forbid that some slappy see a, a play from Michigan's expansive playbook. Uh, <laughs> what was room. Did
3: Kobe Dean sneak by security? Like, did you distract security while while he slipped in there? Because he was calling out their plays in, in in the Orange Bowl.
2: I had Dan Lanning uh, you know, ducking down in a seat behind me. So.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, before we get you out of here, you've got a feature that uh, the the will be posted soon. I assume if if not, but. uh, 22 things for spring practice storylines uh players names you know stuff that you're keeping an eye on so just any one of those 22 what, what was one that as you sat down to to write out your different storylines for spring practice um what was one that that sort of piqued your interest where even in writing it out you're like man i i, I even cannot wait to uh, to follow this storyline here over the next uh, you know six seven weeks
2: yeah. If not at the top, you know, if not at the top, one of the top off season stories going into the Springs, Lincoln Riley starting out at USC and what that looks like uh, sort of a fish out of water accomplished, but here's a guy from whatever, what is it? Muleshoe, shoe, Texas, wherever he's from um, Texas tech guy, big 12 guy, Oklahoma guy going Hollywood. Um, what does that look like? You know, in USC, if the PAC 12 is going to have any credibility and get better, their flagship program has to be better. Um, he hit the, the portal really hard, got himself a quarterback, Caleb Williams, got himself a receiver, Mario Williams, got himself, I think, a plug and play star tailback, and Travis Dye from Oregon. Um, and can they get good in one year? You know, how does he assimilate to the bright lights of of L.A. of Southern California? Because when you're the coach at USC. You know, we can talk about Clay Helton or Lane or, or Kesey or Pete Carroll. You can't, be, you can't be a wallflower. And that's, at, our, at Oklahoma, you know, Lincoln-Riley was. There wasn't much media access to Oklahoma. Uh, you saw what happened when the student paper, um, you know, saw the fact that Spencer Rattler wasn't taking most of the snaps um, after the te- – I think it was after the Texas game and Caleb Williams took over. He shut down practice – or, or shut down access for a week. Well, that hurt nobody but the media and the public who want to read about Oklahoma's. How's that going to work at Oklahoma? So I think I think that's the number one thing. Harson at Auburn, you know, I, I love stories where nothing happens. You could have written the same headline one week, Brian Harson getting ready for spring practice. You could written the same headline a week later. Brian Hartson getting ready for practice within those seven to ten days last month or whatever it was, it was total upheaval. It was Java. It was it was just Auburn being Auburn. Um, how how does that work? You know, sort of a just like Scott Frost. Brian Hartson does he have one year? Um, you know, that, that's interesting to me.
0: He is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. You can read all of his work at cbsports.com sports.com, including uh, the feature that we mentioned earlier on the rules proposals that are being discussed. And this week in Indianapolis, including the uh, drop in attendance, the lowest in 40 years and depending on when the editors put it up at some point soon 22 things for spring practice uh it'll be there on cbsports.com as well thank you dennis you can follow him on twitter at tom Fernelli, you can follow him at danny cannell you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very
3: much
2: thank you enjoyed it thanks